My name is Spencer, and you are tuned in to the debut episode of The Tempo Report. I decided to do something special for this first episode. This week, I hopped across the pond and talked to singer-songwriter, folk-punk artist, Frank Turner. Could you just introduce yourself? My name is Frank Turner. Um, I am a singer and a songwriter and a performer and an entertainer. Um, I grew up in Winchester in the south of England. Now I live in North London, also in England. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we're not on lockdown, I travel around the world playing my songs and uh, I'm sharing them with audiences. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a time right now where gathering large crowds of people in a room is the one thing you're not supposed to be doing. So uh, I'm doing less of that right now, but I am uh, writing and working on new material. How does your um, hometown influence your sound? Um, I wouldn't, it's not hugely in a direct way in the sense that there's not really like a, a, a selection of singers from Winchester to be influenced by. I mean, um, the, the list of people who've come out of my hometown to make music is a very short one indeed. Um, it's basically me and Andy Burroughs from Razorlight. Um, but, uh, but in terms of like the whole thing of growing up in a small town outside the big city and having that slight small town inferiority complex, I think that influences my music uh quite a lot um and also you know I, I grew up kind of in the countryside you know and um uh i don't want to get too far into the kind of rural idyll thing but like i, I am uh, i do have a part of my heart lies in the english countryside and and um traditional english folk music kind of has uh, has a lot to say about that so that kind of stuff has always um appealed to me would you say there's like a sense of um sense of community in a small town like that um there well there probably is um there wasn't massive one for me when i was a kid because i sort of hated everybody because i was an angry little <laughs> punk um and there wasn't anything in the way of punk music in winchester um in the 1990s at all um and you know i discovered sort of punk rock and hardcore um and i found the people around me really kind of stuffy and uptight and it's a sleepy little city. I have that thing a lot of people have, which is that as a kid, I could not understand why anyone would want to live in Winchester. Now that I'm in my late 30s, I kind of look at it and I think to myself, yeah, it's a that's not a bad place to live. It's kind of sleepy, but it's it's kind of got a lot going for it in other ways. But um, the the community I found was more in the kind of hardcore punk scene in London, because I moved to London as soon as I could. I started going there when I was a kid as much as I could. Um, and you know, there I found a community. The scene was really small and it was really like familial at the time, you know, and, and that was my community. Interesting. Um, how did you make the transition uh, from playing in The Million Dead to being a folk solo artist? Um, well, so Million Dead was banned for about four and a half years. Um, and in the run up to that band, that band was kind of like the end of one part of my taste in music. I mean, I still listen to a lot of that music, but like in terms of the music I was making, I've been listening to hardcore and post hardcore and emo and like math rock and all that kind of thing for years. And um, by the time that band kind of fell apart, which it did for boring personal reasons, uh, essentially we all fell out with each other. Um, I just sort of felt like I was done trying to make that specific sound for a little while. It just felt like I was kind of repeating myself. I was hitting dead ends. Um, I'd also, because I've been listening to that music for so long and then I was touring in a band like that and then we were touring with other bands that sound like that and all the rest of it, 
I'd started listening to a lot of country music and folk music and and roots music and acoustic stuff, whatever you want to call it, um, which was all new to me. You know, I, I I could have told you everything about Sick of It All's back catalogue before I'd ever heard a record by Bob Dylan. You know what I mean? So, um, my music taste was kind of upside down in that way. Um, so yeah, so I discovered all this stuff like the Johnny Cash American Recording Sessions, Springsteen's Nebraska, Josh Rouse, um, a lot of kind of seventies uh, country um neil young that kind of thing really um made a big impact on me and i had an acoustic guitar and i used to play my acoustic guitar with my sister and sing like cat and crow songs when i was a kid so i thought i'd try something in that kind of acoustic vein part of it as well was just because i felt quite sort of burned and let down by what had happened with the band and the thing about going solo was it meant i didn't have to depend on anybody else to tour and to book shows and to write songs and all that kind of thing so i just kind of i was like fuck it you know i'll, I'll just be under my own flag under my own steam and i set out and, and it was weird because like at the beginning i really had no idea what i was doing um and i don't think that it was very good at the beginning <laughs> should we say um and then over a long period of time i kind of figured out how to do it and just sort of felt like i was doing the right thing and and kept at it it felt i bet it felt good to be in control of your own like musical destiny or something yeah like that. yeah i mean well, definitely there's definitely attractions to being in a band because you know you become great in the some of your party bounce ideas for other people and there's huge bits of million dead's music that i never would have written myself on my own but like yeah there was the, that feeling of being the boss and being in control was, was something i was looking for and something that i got how do you come up with how do you come up with lyrics uh, uh well i've just been trying to write some so that's a that's a pointed question for me at this exact moment in time i mean one of the things is that like i've been doing this for such a long time you know i started trying to write songs when i was like 11 12 years old and, and they weren't songs they were just like literally random chords of me shouting some teenage bullshit over the top <laughs> but like even from back then like my instinct was to try and translate my experiences and my feelings into a form of expression that was uh, that was uh, to do with words that was literary you know so um these days it's kind of like on a lot of levels it's a kind of just a subconscious thing and i'm a professional songwriter so a lot of the time if if a phrase occurs to me or if i'm getting a certain feeling there's just a part of my brain that automatically kicks into gear and starts thinking about things in terms of lyrics um I mean, you can get more technical about it. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about lyrics that I love and how they're put together and the way that people use imagery and the way that people use words. And there are certain writers at any given time that I'm kind of obsessed with. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about Neil Young, um, about Leonard Cohen, about J John K. Sampson from The Week of Ants, um, Dave Bazan from Petra the Lion, Adam Duritz and Karen Crows. You know, and you just sort of try and figure out what it is that they're doing that's cool and that you like. Um, but generally speaking, it's just something needs to happen that's worth kind of getting bothered about, you know, and then you try and make that into words. Was music something that you always wanted to do? Um, since I, since I, since I fell in love with it. Yeah. I mean, like when I was a little kid, my parents don't really listen to anything other than classical music and church music. They don't really believe in drum kits, you know what I mean? Um, so I didn't have, like, I have a lot of friends and their parents, like, played Led Zeppelin in the house when they were kids or whatever. I never had that. Um, so I had to, all of rock and roll was virgin territory for me when I was a kid, like, all of it. And weirdly, my point of entry was heavy metal, you know, and I was an Iron Maiden fan before anything else. But, like, when I was about 10 years old, I came across Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Metallica and Anthrax and Slayer and, and Pantera and stuff like that. And it blew my fucking mind, you know. I'd never heard anything like this before. 
Um, so I just got really, really into it. And from that moment, I've never really wanted to do anything else with my life. Of course, I've thought about it because it's a rare thing to be able to make a living as a musician you know it's not guaranteed in any way so i've thought about other things but the thing i've always wanted in my heart is to do this i'm very very lucky person that that is what i do how did you connect up with the sleeping souls Mm. i kind of gathered them over time (laughs) that sounds ridiculous i mean the the full story i was um there was a band from the uk called ruben who were amazing and i was actually Uh, I was their merch guy in between Million Dead tours because I didn't have anywhere to go when I wasn't on tour. So I would tour with them when Million Dead wasn't touring. And um, there was a band called Dive Dive who were their main support act on a tour in probably 2004. Um, And the guys in Dive Dive were really cool. They were a really good band. And they had their own studio. And that was around the time Million Dead was starting to kind of fall apart. And we just made friends. And when I said I was doing this solo stuff, the guys in Dive Dive said, well, look, we've got a studio and we can play. Um, so, you know, we could we could help you make a record. So my first record, Campfire Punk Rock, was me and then uh, Taron on bass, Nigel on drums and Ben on guitar, all three of whom are still in the band now. Um, we then had a really long list of kind of not very good keyboard players or not even not very good. That's not fair. We had some great keyboard players, but they either they had other things going on or they were their own artists. Like my friend Chris TT played keys in the band for a while and it took us for fucking ever to find someone who could play piano who wanted to be. <laughs> band um and then eventually um matt nazir who's in the band now he was in one of our support bands on a tour he was playing keys for a guy called andy york who is tom york from radiohead's brother um and he was a support nice. for a tour um <laughs> and uh matt was playing keys in his band he was so fucking good and then we were just kind of started hanging out on the tour and getting drunk after shows and stuff and then andy york isn't very busy you know he doesn't do all that much stuff so at the end of the tour i kind of went hey <laughs> are you busy do you know what i mean and like um uh and uh he joined the band and, and there we are and, and that's been uh that was matt joined 12 years ago awesome well you know it seems like things um came together quite smoothly um <laughs> I'm glad it seems like that. I mean, it's funny. I say this with all of the love in the world for the guys in my band, but like well, like any group of five people trying to figure out how to live in a dormitory with wheels around the world. And at the beginning with no fucking money and all the rest of it, we had, we've had our ups and downs. We've had our arguments. We've worked them through. I mean, these days I feel like we're in a good place and it's smooth sailing and that's all cool. But we've definitely, there's definitely been quite a few tense moments over the years. How, how has it been like touring, um, constantly i know like um that's how like you you make most of your income but yeah um how is like how is touring constantly like been for you over the years um you know it's the thing i always wanted to do when i was a kid um when i was getting into punk rock and stuff like that the bands that i always idolized were bands like black flag you know and they used to tour all the fucking time um, and I and I had a copy of Get in the Van that actually had like their old tour schedules from the 80s printed in the back, and I would fucking read them because I, that's how sad I was when I was a kid, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, um, so I was into all of that kind of thing. I mean, also I remember on the hardcore scene in the UK in the 90s, we had some bands that were pretty cool, and then every time an American or North American touring band would come through, they would kick the shit out of our bands. And the reason is is because they played 300 shows a year. And you just can't play 300 shows 
shows a year in the UK. You can't do it. It's not big enough. You know what I mean? So these bands would come through and they would be so fucking tight and so good. So I always wanted to tour a lot. It was always my dream. I did my first tour when I was 16 years old in a hardcore band that I was in. And we just booked it ourselves and went out there and did it. Um, so I always wanted to do it. I mean, you know, and, and I started doing it pretty young. And it's not like there was another life that I had to leave behind. Do you know what I mean? I just kind of made it my life as soon as I could. Um, so it's it's what I know. And in a funny way, I actually find kind of staying home harder. Um, you know, I've got better at it in, in recent years, not least because I got married and I've got my own place now and that kind of thing, which I didn't have for a long time. But, uh, you know, I there was a long period of my life where I found coming off tour to be really, really challenging and really difficult. Um, and uh, that was more of a problem than touring was. How are you like, how is this like pandemic time been for you? I know like, um, I know cut, like, I know coming off the road can be sort of like, like depressing, but like, how, how are you dealing with that? Well, I mean, the thing that's kind of, um, the, well, the first thing is I, I was in the middle of a tour when the lockdown started in the UK. So we had to cancel the end of the tour and that fucking sucked because I love touring and I hate canceling shows more than anything in the whole world. So that was really shitty. I mean, we had to do it. You know, it was the right thing to do. Um, uh, but to pull five shows really, really sucked for me. And like coming home before I was supposed to, that was really shitty. Um, in terms of now, I mean, in the, I don't know how it is with you guys. Over here, we're legally locked down and nobody seems to know when it's going to end. And they say they'll they'll review it in three weeks time. And then again after that, I don't, no one knows. So yeah. Uh, the thing that's comforting is in a, in a way is that everybody is in the same boat you know what i mean it's not like it's just me who's been sent home exactly and yeah. i mean it's kind of it's kind of freaking me out uh not uh going into the unknown but but i i think we're gonna i think we're gonna get through this i mean you know yeah. things are gonna go up things are gonna go back to normal um and uh you know it may take a while for like people to be less paranoid but yeah yeah no i mean it's the, the thing is nobody knows what's going to happen right like we're all kind of stuck in this and confused and um who fucking knows man like uh, and and like just to, on the practical level of when it is i'm going to be able to play shows again i have no idea do you know what i mean because i don't think there's just going to be with this one day where the, everyone goes okay it's cool now yeah you know, i know back to playing I shows know. You know, I, w I wish it would, I wish it was gonna be like that, but you know, yeah. like the world, world's a little, world's a little weird, and things are gonna be a bit slow. Um, it could be a sense of community from this. Yeah. Like, um, you're still able to do like I know you're doing like live street, live stream shows. Yeah. And like you know benefits for a couple, um, a couple of things. Want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, I mean, well, the the first thing to say about all of that is that, like, fully, I don't think live stream shows are anything like going to an actual show. And I'm pleased about that, because once all of this quarantine shit ends, I want to keep doing shows. I don't want everyone to go, oh, cool, we'll just do live shows, live stream shows forever now. You know, I want to get back in a room with people as soon as I can. But, um, you know, I mean, first of all, I'm sitting around at home not doing very much. Um, and uh the first thing that I did when I got back from tour is I did a show that was me and the two support acts on the tour, one of whom is my wife. Um, and we did a show from my front room downstairs. Um, and that was a fundraiser for the people in my touring family, 
and my band and my crew because those guys are facing a really bleak time financially right now because they get paid when we tour you know um so i raised money for those guys and we raised crazy amount of money for them i was really really pleasantly surprised and i managed to help all of those guys out there's 11 people that i managed to pay like two months wages each which is cool as shit you know um uh and then since then like i mean one of the things that occurred to me i got a lot of I, i've done a lot of work over the years with a group called the music venue trust here in the uk who look after independent grassroots venues and there's a thing called independent venue week over here which they run which i've been involved in as well and a lot of the kind of smaller independent venues are like are fucked right now to, to, to be blunt you know what i mean and it's like <laughs> nobody knows when they're going to be open again and these are businesses that run on small margins on like month to month and all the rest of it so i wanted to try and help out on that level i did one last week that went crazy well um and it's become a thing i'm now going to do it every week going forwards and hopefully we're getting other artists to do it for venues that they love as well so you know we've got um uh, quite a lot of people coming together to try and look after music venues. And it, it is kind of cool because the thing is, when you do it, it's just kind of, you can say to people, look, I don't need you to put a hundred dollars in or a hundred pounds or whatever. You can put in five. Do you know what I mean? If you're drinking a can of beer that cost you one pound at the supermarket and would have cost you five bucks at the show, then put four pounds in the pot. You know what I mean? And just if everybody puts a tiny bit, because we get about 10,000 people tuning in, you can actually raise quite a lot of money, you know, and, and hopefully that means that some of these venues will survive this more easily. Well, it's a sense of it's a sense of community, and everyone seems to be coming together and just wanting to just wanting to be as normal as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I was talking to my wife about this earlier today, actually, there is some value. I think you've got to be careful in talking about this. There is some value in the fact that we're all going through this like enforced pause in our life. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know about you, but like I'm so fucking busy all the time, and I'm always thinking about the next thing that's happening and i'm running around i don't sleep enough i don't eat well i'm always ah crazy yeah. all the time. and and to be able to turn around and actually have no choice but to like spend some time catching up on sleep eating properly catching up on all the little chores around the house and just kind of sort of thinking yeah. about the world that's not a terrible thing i mean you know there are lots and lots of downsides to this as well and people are suffering and you've got to be careful how you talk about it but there's there is i think some value in that in just being made to like take a minute yeah it took me like a couple of weeks to actually like to actually like think like oh this is actually a good thing I yeah think, um but you're further ahead of it than, than i am so i'm gonna i'm gonna take your advice on it <laughs> back when you were playing shows um what's like the most random most random or unique venue you've ever played <laughs> I mean, I've played some reasonably wild and wonderful places in my time. I played a lot of house shows and a lot of squat shows and I played on people's roofs at sunrise and this kind of thing. Like I've done a few of those. Um, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, in 2010, I did a kind of semi-illegal tour in, Ch in China, the People's Republic of China. Um, I didn't really have the right paperwork to be there, but I just kind of snuck over the border with my guitar. And um, one of the shows was in a disused um nuclear bunker in wuhan um and there was like 200 punk kids and the whole place was covered in shit and covered in graffiti and all the rest of it and um and uh and there was me and my guitar and it was like in a basement in wuhan and um uh that was a fucking weird day uh, i mean it was cool as hell you know to be so far away from home and from anything that i know but um uh yeah that was a really interesting show i mean that's the one that springs to mind but there are so many how do North American, European, and UK audiences 
differ from each other when you play live? Uh, they they differ in small ways and we can talk about that i mean one of the things that is often different for me is that my career has developed in different ways in different parts of the world so in north america i'm more closely my solo stuff is more closely associated with punk rock and the punk rock scene which is fine i mean in the uk when i first started out i was kind of trying to put clear water between me and the punk scene just because i'd been in it for so long and i didn't want to just sort of like be the token acoustic guy on every punk bill ever you know, I wanted to tour with with indie bands and with folk bands and stuff like that as well. So um, there's small things like that. But I, th- I have to say that, like, the thing that I find comforting in a way is that you can go all the way across the world to Vancouver, if nowhere else, you know, and, and you can get a similar vibe in a room as you would in London town or in Berlin or in Australia or wherever, you know. And there's something kind of cool about the fact that music is that sort of unifying force within that it also makes me very grateful to be so far away from home and have anyone give a fuck about who i am and what i do um when you go further afield and get to like you know russia or israel or china or vietnam or some of the other places i've been lucky enough to play that shit gets pretty wild just because um there's a certain type of learned behavior that crowds have at shows at punk rock shows however you want to put it and that's cool i'm not complaining about that but people don't necessarily have that learned behavior in other places where there's less of that kind of music so just little things about like trying to get a sing-along going in in uh like china was a strange thing because they had no fucking idea what i was trying to do (laughs) they were like what is he talking about um you know or trying to get people to clap or whatever you know like people it's just like the the vibe in the room is slightly different but um but yeah generally speaking i think music shows is more interesting to me when it brings people together music is like a universal language mm. everybody speaks yeah. it's sort of it's sort of weird like that like you know it doesn't matter what language you speak everybody seems to speak music so yeah right exactly and it's kind of it's, it's a comforting thing for me you know because there's so much division in the world but there's something cool that you can get like you can get a circle pit going in most places in the world <laughs> um so every time you make an album you get a tattoo to signify the completion of the album. Is that correct? It's not 100% correct. I've done that with a few records. I've got like three or four. Um, I'm just looking at my arms now. <laughs> I've got three or four down here. I mean, it's not like a, a, a religious thing that I do every single time. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I also, I mean, I like ink and I tend to spend a lot of time on the artwork for my records. So, you know, it's not surprising that that stuff kind of ends up um, getting commemorated sometimes. But, like, it's I don't have every single one of my records on my skin. How do you come up with, like, album design and album art? Um, generally speaking, I get somebody else to do the actual hard work because the one thing I cannot do is draw to save my fucking life. I can't, I can't even draw a stick, man. Dude, like, <laughs> I am the fucking worst at that. Um, but, you know, I generally have ideas. Like, f- to pick an example, uh, for Be More Kind, for the front cover, I, wanted to ha- I knew I wanted it to be a line drawing. I knew I wanted it to be, like, two hands kind of coming together. Um, and that's, that's all I had. And I kind of um, I contacted a bunch of different artists and asked them to, like, mock some stuff up. And this one guy called Ben Ricks from Wales, um, he sent me back a sketch that is the front cover of the record. He was like, something like this. And I was like, no, not something like that. That, exactly that. That is the fucking album cover right there. You know, um, so uh, generally speaking, you know, I have kind of overarching ideas, but I tend to let actual artists um, do the hard work on it because I can't do it myself. Well, at least you like come up with the ideas and and hmm. you have uh, you have a very cool vision for each cover. I, re- I really um 
I really like that. Actually, I have a tattoo of the Be More Kind album art. That was oh. my that was my first Mine's that right. was my first tattoo. Oh really? Fucking hey, look at that. Look, I've got one too, right there. I also have um tattoo of positive songs for negative people. Nice. And a tape deck heart tattoo. So basically I have like three of your albums. That's really cool, man. Thank you. Tattooed on my leg. That's cool as shit, man. Thank you very much. What's your great what's your greatest accomplishment throughout your music career? Um, this sounds is going to sound like I'm dodging the question, but I promise you I'm not. I think the, the greatest achievement for me is that I'm still here and we're still having this conversation. You know, like when I was a kid, I told everybody I wanted to be a touring musician and everybody laughed at me and told me to go fuck myself. Um, and then I got <laughs> to the point where I was. And But the thing is, so many people get like a two-year two run at this. Do you know what I mean? Whether that's because that's all they can take or whether that's because as long as they're popular or whatever. But so many people don't do this for very long. And I started doing it and I said, cool, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And everyone went, yeah, right. Um, you know, and, and didn't believe me. And, and you know, I'm 38 years old and I'm working on my ninth record. That's what I was working on upstairs right now with some demos for my ninth record. And, you know, and I've got more ideas coming in and essentially it feels like i can do this indefinitely now um i mean hopefully you know who knows but hopefully uh touch wood um but you know and the, the fact that i am doing that is is rare um and it's something that i'm really proud of you know and i think that, that is for me that's my achievement is sustaining this over a long period of time you obviously tour a lot so have you, have you got like a couple of like you know, crazy stories that you'd be willing to share with me right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing, there is an argument to be made on some levels that all I've got is crazy tour stories because that's all I've really done with my life. Um, I wrote a whole bunch of them down um, uh, in a book. The first book that I did was, was a collection of tour stories up till 2012. A lot of people have been asking me if I'm going to do like a volume two um, of that, which I guess I could do. I mean, I feel like I covered that angle for a book but uh but it was a lot of fun um writing all of those stories down and and more mad shit has continued to happen since then i mean off the top of my head the other day i played one of the craziest shows of my life um i spend a bunch of time in sierra leone in west africa with a charity a music charity out there um <clears throat> that deals with you know former child soldiers and street kids and homeless people and marginalized people um and they make music and i go over and i try and help out and um I was there in January this year and um, there was a rap battle, right, that was organized by all the different gangs of East Freetown who are some heavy motherfuckers, right? Um, and they were having this kind of, and it was supposed to be like a peace meeting between all the different gangs and no one was allowed to fight, but they were, had to have a, like a rap battle. And they asked me to be the opening act for a rap battle between East Freetown gangsters. And I was like... <laughs> what the fuck? So That's crazy. <laughs> it was so nuts. And like the show was on this like... like made out of like plywood and and beer crates that was outside a car wash on the side of the road and uh and i got up there with and plugged my little acoustic guitar in i was like hello um <laughs> you know and like uh some of the people there knew who i was because i've been out there three times now and i've made some friends over there but a lot of the people there had no fucking idea who i was and the vibe was really really heavy when i started um but after a while people got into it you know and and it was cool as shit um so yeah i mean that that, that, that files under kind of unusual shows as well i guess but i mean there's mad shit happens all the time like i had um 
we had somebody the, uh, i'm just this is the first story that came to my mind and i've got to try and tell a polite version of this story <laughs> we were playing a show somewhere in the american midwest and i'm not going to say where and this young lady crowd surfed to the stage and she, it was her um it was her bachelorette party you know she had like a sash on and, all that. Um, and she crowd surfed up to the stage and then she she got on the stage and she's like it's my bachelor party and i was like that's really cool and then she told me she wasn't wearing any underwear and i was like this is in front of like two thousand people and i was yeah. like why the fuck are you telling me this um and then like she was she was trying to get me to like go home with her and stuff and i was like you have a fiance i know you have a fiance because you got a fucking sign on your chest that says you have a fiance like go fuck yourself um so yeah there's, there's some weird shit there's some strange people out there <laughs> One of the shows I went to of yours, like, you actually, like, had to dive over me. Oh, were you dive, down in the front? Diving into the crowd. Um, I think it was on the um, Positive Songs for Negative People tour. Right. And I just thought, like, it's, like, the craziest thing. You've all, you almost, like, kicked me in the head. But <laughs> it, was part of the, it. it was part of the experience. And um, one of the things that I'll never forget is, like, your shows are, like, so crazy and then that's one of the first places that i've actually been comfortable with moshing so that makes me very happy to hear that man like something i've worked on a lot over the years is just trying to make the atmosphere at my shows into welcoming places i can't change the world man do you know what i mean i'm just some dickhead with a guitar but i can change the atmosphere at my shows you know and it's really important to me that like everybody's welcome everybody's part of the show do you know what i mean it's not like there's no division between people that's something i think about a lot yeah, I love your shows because it se- seems like they're quite accessible and welcoming, and I just I just really appreciate it because awesome. I, I really love I really love your music and I probably will never stop. So awesome. Um, well, thank you, man. Well, it's very important to me that you come to the shows and that you feel just feel welcome and all the rest of it. That's cool as shit, man. Thank you for telling me that. Some of my favorite songs of yours are um, "Reasons to Be an Idiot," "If I Stray." and the way i tend to be what are some of the stories stories or meaning behind those songs um well uh i can tell you stories i mean the meaning for me it's really important that the meaning of those songs is whatever you think it is you know it's not for me to tell anybody else what a song means i think that a song becomes public when you put it out there in terms of its interpretation that's quite important to me but i mean stories and reason not to be an idiot was one of the one of the first songs I wrote that was like a big success in the UK. So that was kind of cool. Um, it's sort of, it's about a bunch of stuff. I mean, partly it's, it's, it's the first time I mentioned this character to, called Amy. That's not her real name. Um, but she was somebody I knew who I had a long and complicated relationship with and wrote quite a few songs about actually. And that was her first appearance. Um, so uh, if ever I stray, I wrote that song um, really quickly. Some of my songs take me like years and years and years to write. But if ever I stray, I wrote that song in 20 minutes during a sound check in Florida when we were opening for Social Distortion on tour. Um, and it just I started fucking around with this little guitar thing. And within 20 minutes, I had a finished song and it felt really, really good. And that's it. Sometimes it just comes like that. Um, and then where I tend to be, that's the, the other extreme. Like that song, I had I have demos of that song that go back like three albums before I actually recorded it because it was kind of hanging around and I couldn't decide if it was right and if it was if i was presenting it in the right way and if the lyrics were good enough and all the rest of it um and i've worked on that song for years and, I, and in fact in a funny way i'm kind of still working on the arrangement now in the sense that it's changed quite a lot the way that i play that song live um 
yeah so but i mean that that song's been one of my bigger kind of i don't want to use the word hit that seems ridiculous but biggest like successes um uh so i'm I'm very grateful for that song existing are you able to like grab your grab one of your guitars right now and i have the guitar right here just play one of those just play one of those songs yeah absolutely man this is my uh this is the guitar that's on the front cover of love iron song um and uh it's pretty beat up these days because i did like more than a thousand shows with it and uh and it's so it's suffered over the years let me just grab a pick i'll play a bit of where i tend to be if that's cool with you awesome this goes to what i was talking about this is kind of a slightly different way of playing it which i've got really into in recent years but it goes like this hold on i'm gonna change the target That'll do. It's punk rock. <laughs> Some mornings I pray for evenings For the day to be done Some summer days I hide away And wait for rain to come As it turns out hell will not be found in the fires below but I'm making do and muddling through when you know else to go. then I remember you and the way you shine like truth in all you do and if you remember Save me from the way I tend to be the way I tend to be Some days I wake up, days my dear I don't know where I am I've been running now so long I'm scared I've forgotten how to stand Then I stand around in airport buzz I gather thoughts to think That if all I had was one long road It would drive a man to drink Then I remember you And the way you shine like truth I love you so many times The words kind of die in my mouth I meant it each time With each beautiful person Somehow it never works out But you stood apart In my callous heart And you told me And here's what I learned That love is about All the changes you make Not just three small words And then I catch My Catching your scent 
on someone else in a crowded space and it takes me somewhere I can avoid Amazing. Amazing. That's that's awesome. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. What's the one place that you haven't played yet that you want to play? Uh, there's a sad answer to this question, which is uh, the answer is South America. Um, and I've been trying to get a South American tour on my schedule for years. And I had one and it, I was supposed to be going there like next week. And we had to cancel it because of the global pandemic. Um, and I am really, really fucking gutted about that because I've been trying to go there for so long and we finally had some shows in the diary. So um, uh, that is one of the very first things I want to try and reschedule as soon as I'm allowed to do that um, because I've never been to South America, even as a tourist. I really want to go. Um, what's, what would you say, like, what's one place in South America that you really want to play? I mean, I'm pretty kind of like, uh, I kind of want to play anywhere I haven't played before. Do you know what I mean? Um, of the tour that I had, we were visiting like four different countries and most of the shows were in Brazil because Brazil is enormous. So, uh, you know, Brazil's pretty high up my list. So I'd want to go to Rio de Janeiro and I've been there. Uh, it looks incredible. It sounds incredible. Um, I mean, I was excited about going to Brasilia as well because um, I know that it's a Corbusier piece of architecture. So I was interested in seeing that too. But like, to be honest, like it, it blew my mind. We had these shows on sale and we'd sold like a few hundred tickets across the board and I've never been there before. And, and that blew my mind. So um, I want to go where people want me to go. I know things are a bit up in the air right now, but like what are some of the things that you have going on in your life right now well i mean i'm there's a bunch of kind of like release ideas that i've had kind of lined up that we're actually kind of moving forward because we might as well you know what i mean so um uh we are working on a live record right now which um which is kind of bittersweet actually because it's like listening back to the mixes it's like do you remember gigs you remember people being allowed in a room together um <laughs> Um, there's, but there's some stuff like that. Um, there's a really cool release coming up that I can't tell you about just yet because we haven't announced it yet. But no, there no worries, no worries. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to give anything. I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> I get in trouble for that shit all the time because I forget. No, no worries. About. No worries. Man. But um, but yeah, there's a bunch of, and there's some some like rarities releases and that kind of thing. And then beyond that, I mean, mainly I'm just doing these live stream shows at the moment, you know, and and um trying to um you know keep in touch with people and keep music moving and raise some money and that kind of thing so that's the main thing that and then of course as i mentioned earlier um i am demoing a new record right now so um i'm lucky enough 
to have the tools that I need to do that at home these days, which is an incredible thing. So I'm working on new songs. I've got like 15 done um, and I'm hoping to get to like 20 and then pick the good ones. That's amazing. That's amazing. How like how big how big is your home studio? <laughs> I, well, I don't really have like a home studio per se, but I've got like a little interface and I've got a guitar and a bass and stuff. And I've got like a little this is my little office room here that i'm in i've been working upstairs because it's nicer actually but um yeah it's you know it's it's pretty portable it's equipment that i take on tour with me as well it fits in my suitcase pretty easily is like is there like a soundproofed area in your house or something <laughs> no it's these are these are basic demos these are none of this is stuff that i'm actually going to release to the world except maybe for the like the 10 year anniversary of the rarities you know what i mean so um uh, but yeah, they're, you know, they're demonstrations to send to the guys in Sleeping Souls and to send to the record label and just let everybody know where my head is at before we get into the studio. Amazing. Well, um, thank you for taking the time. It's my pleasure, man. It's lovely to speak to you. It's, it, you know, uh, talking to people on, on video chat and all that kind of thing is not the same as hanging out, but it's not a terrible substitute. So it's very nice to spend some time chatting today, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you. You just heard my interview with singer-songwriter and folk punk artist from England, Frank Turner. You can find out more about Frank and his music at, by visiting frank-turner.com.